0: Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Midweek Mashup. If you're new to the show, the Midweek Mashup is our chance to put together some of our best guests to talk about one singular topic. And this week, the topic is marketing. So the Marketing Masterclass this week is going to be taught by three of our past guests, Brittany Crystal, Tara Electra, and Philip Stutz. Brittany is a personal branding expert who uh, worked with Gary Vee for several years before starting her own firm to help businesses and thought leaders grow their own personal brands. And then Tara Electra is the founder of Unruly Agency, one of the largest influencer agencies that is out there. She does all of the biggest festivals and events in the world and then there's Philip Stutz. Philip is the founder of Win Big Media. He has a, uh, a corporate marketing firm. He has a political marketing firm. Makes multiple eight figures every single year. And he is also a best-selling author himself. So there's going to be amazing value, jam-packed full of value in this episode, all about marketing. So get ready for the Marketing Masterclass featuring Brittany Crystal, Tara Electra, and Philip Stutz. So you decide to go learn from... The master of social media marketing, Gary Vaynerchuk. and so talk to us a little bit about how you got involved there, what your main responsibilities were, and uh, and then what it was like, you know, working for Gary. Because I mean, that's still kind of early days of Gary, right? I mean, like that was like right when he was coming out with Jab 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 Right Hook. Is that right?
1: So it was after that. So. I took the job at Vayner in 2014. It was the first job I had as an, as an adult, I just want to say, where I didn't have to ask to go to the bathroom. Like that blows <laughs> people's minds. I had to ask to go to the bathroom. And so people yeah. ask me about working for Gary because that will come in a little bit. But Gary was the least intense. He's intense. And he obviously puts in work and working for him is not just like a cakewalk. But at the same time, he was the nicest, easiest like boss I've ever had.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so
1: props to him for that so like that kind of thing like I was so used to it so I took the job as a project manager in the LA office and really the hub there were 30 people in that office the hub of business was based in New York that had a few hundreds of people there and and that's really where the business was where Gary was based so I was working on the big brands that they had in, you know in the LA office that that office was doing between like the account people. I saw all the pieces and I was like, I really like this environment. I love what's going on here. This role isn't necessarily for me. And they also knew I was overqualified for the role, but like it was like one of those things where I was like, I was just happy to be there. I was happy to learn. At that point, I was already interested in kind of tech and marketing and thinking I wanted to build my own thing. I just didn't know how I had no, you know, I didn't know. And so I actually met Gary. I started August, 2014, December, It was 2014. I met Gary at the Christmas party when we were on the same trivia team. And it was me and two other guys on this trivia team. And it was a cool night. He ate all of our leftover chicken wings. I like to remind him about that, like wings that we had eaten. He cleaned. (laughs) He like literally like picked up our our leftovers and like cleaned them off. He was like such an interesting dude when I actually encountered him. And I was like, I don't know if that went well at all. Like I didn't think about it. And then the next month he came back and he was doing one-on-ones with everyone in the office. And he was like, you're overqualified for what you do. What do you really want to do? And I thought I wanted to invest his money because I glossed over this, but I used to play poker and I just like have a sense for people. I thought I wanted to like invest in, help him invest in like his seed fund or something. And he was like, I think, why don't you look into like growth hacking? He gave me some things to like think about. And then he was like, would you ever consider moving out to New York? And I said, I've lived in New York. Like, maybe it depends, you know. And so, over the next, i say, six months from January up until June, when I got the offer to move, we just kind of went back and forth. And everything new that comes out of Vayner starts with him, starts in New York. And in June, he was like, "I'm about to get really serious about my personal brand." His next book was going to come out, the hashtag AskGaryVee book, and that was in twenty, that was going to release in March 2016. So we're having this conversation summer of 2015. He's like, "Move out." give me a year. I'm going to get really serious about my personal brand. I think, you know, something come out. And so in my head, I'm like, that's my MBA. I'm going out there for a year. And at the end of that, I'm going to learn everything I can. And I'm going to, my idea was I was going to pitch him like a startup idea. Like that was my thought. I was like, I'm just going to learn everything. And like, I'm just going to go out there. I didn't want to go back to New York, but I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like I'm going to be working all the time anyway. And basically I moved out there October, 2015 And it was early days of the personal brand team. It was like six to eight of us. And we're working on the, you know, we're blowing up the show. And like, I had to learn how to optimize on every platform. And everybody had like, it was very small startup, but I got to learn all of the aspects of building out a personal brand. I saw like the impact that he was having, because I really wasn't a fan of his prior. Like I didn't know him, but he was at the end of the day, like all these people are just humans. And he was having this massive impact. And it was like early days of influencer marketing. And I had to find these influencers to hold his book. And I was reaching out to them and they were all like, oh my gosh, like he's changed my life. Crush it, changed my life. It was just blowing my mind and I didn't expect to love it. But like three months in, I went to him and I was like, I know you're building out the personal branding arm of this agency. I want it. Like, I want in on that. Like the personal brand thing just like hit home for me the way that working on the big brands just didn't like humans do it for me. So that was like my like light bulb moment of like oh shit there's something here
0: yeah right so you end up obviously working for him for a little bit longer there what was the what was the deciding factor in not working there anymore
1: there were a few things for me freedom I wanted to be remote I wanted to travel I wanted to live my life I wanted to decide which clients I took on who I didn't take on it was it was really more of a lifestyle thing I'm not an yeah. office person I yeah. knew that my husband had the remote capability. I was always, and this is probably a little bit of a thorn in my side from always. It's like, if I do my work, why do I need somebody to watch me do my work? Like if I get my shit done and I do it well. In an office, in a team dynamic with certain types of teams and someone else's business, you can't do that. So there just came a point where it's like, well, I'm going to have to, like, there's no other alternative.
0: Sure. You got to feed feed the inner entrepreneur. Yeah.
1: But before, I didn't know for a fact if I could replicate it yet. So what was great is that after work... Here he was already a personality. He's very comfortable on camera. He's an extrovert. He had been practiced at that point being on camera for over a decade. So I needed to see if I could take somebody who was not as interesting or maybe not as much of a personality in an area right. that maybe wasn't as sexy and produce them and take their brand and do something with it and how that worked and all of those sorts of things. And so I was able to do that you know, somewhat with, with Vayner. And then I was able to leave when a lot of those Actually, a lot of those clients kind of knew that was where I was going anyway, and they wanted to, to retain me. So I actually was able to kind of bridge the gap between Vayner into something safe, where I was just on, I was actually on the other side sure. from people who were working at Vayner. And then on that path is when I started realizing all these other things yeah. that we'll get to.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So let's go ahead and get to that then, because I want to yeah. get into a little bit of the meat here. So top three things you learned about personal branding working for Gary and now doing your own agency where you help a lot of people build their personal
1: brands. So very, here's the thing is one thing I've learned working with all of these powerful people is they are human. And that's also one of those things where it's like seeing it firsthand. It's like, it is possible. And I think that was like the biggest, like most mind blowing thing was that it's, it is possible. It's possible for literally, I see possibility for anyone everywhere at any time. And so that was super exciting. And I think it just took a shift. People always think that Gary was the moment that, that changed my world. Gary turned, he turned on a light bulb for me. But what actually changed everything for me was starting my own podcast that... So I left Vayner in May 2017. What changed the game for me was starting my podcast in October of 2017 and creating my own personal brand and my own content. So like Gary, like a, like a I will always give him his respect and his flowers on that. Yeah. But he didn't... I wouldn't be in business now if I didn't take that and run with it and do other things with it and create my own content. So it really is about putting yourself putting yourself out there and being yourself. And what I loved about him and everyone that I've worked with and for it's like, I don't work with people who want to be Gary. You can't be Gary. You can't, you're going to be a second rate. It, it doesn't work. Like you have to be right. yourself. And so all of those people, the reason it works for him is because he's being himself. Like that's, that's truly his thing. Him. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so that's why these other copies don't work. And so even going into my own brand, one of my biggest regrets is not starting the podcast sooner. Um, I think about that I, out of all of the business things, I'm like, I wish I'd started it sooner, but I didn't want to start it when I was at Vayner. I held myself back from it. But that was the game changer. And it's like that did everything for me. But I had the I was able to build up the confidence by have by like working with him and then working with these other people and being able to replicate it. And then I didn't have a course yet. And then you're like out there and then I'm meeting these other people and learning because he doesn't do the course thing. And so I had to learn like what business model works for me that I can have the freedom that I can make money that I don't need to be exchanging time for money and doing clients because I was still like in the so in the weeds of how to make and making content for people. I didn't want to be doing that anymore. I want to be making my own content and teaching people how to make their own content. I wanted off of that completely. And so that was a journey on its on its own, too.
0: Yeah, no, and that's something I really appreciate about you is that you actually went out and did the thing that you were doing for other people. because uh, that's something something that I look at, especially like in content creation and stuff. There's a lot of, you know, people that that are out there teaching certain things online, but they've never actually done it themselves. I hate and it's that. like, well, well, I've done it, you know, I did it for this person and this person and this person. And it's like, well, it's exactly what you said, Brittany. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, that's that's Gary, right? I mean, you could know zero things about personal branding and be successful building Gary's brand because he's Gary and he was already really well known. He was already like he was him. You know what I mean? Like you can't you can't say that you're that like you can't point to the people that had existing brands and audiences when you help them start a YouTube channel or start a podcast and then say, look at the amazing results that I can get. It's like no, no, no. I want to see did you do it? Did you take the same things that you're saying that you're going to teach me? Did you do it for you? And if not, why not? If it works so well, and that's the goal, then why haven't you done it for yourself yet? You know what I mean? Like that doesn't make any a, sense.
1: 100. I'm very much a put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. I didn't feel, I didn't even feel right advising people, and that's the thing. Also, when you're consulting and when you do have clients, if they're not doing it and they're not listening to you, a part of my impetus was like, well, if you're not going to take it, like I'm going to show you. Yeah. Like, I can't give advice that I haven't taken myself. And so for me, like, I do see a lot of people who are in quotes, personal brand experts who are helping grow people who already have a ton of money to put into ads, a ton of money to put into things. So that's why I wanted to create, and I did create courses, I created the LinkedIn laws was my first course. I created this clarity course because I want to take somebody who's just an entrepreneur or not an entrepreneur, but entrepreneurial minded, who's hungry, wants to position themselves online at any level. And I know that this works. It works if you know nothing to start from scratch and you can build Cause that's the like thing to me. It's like, who cares? like if you have a million dollars to blow on ads or whatever, like, of course we can blow you up. Like you can make some yeah. content. It doesn't even need to be great content right. and you can get in front of people, but it's something else. And I think I had that for myself where it's like, okay, I get how this works. Let's take it and apply it to myself. Let's take it and apply it to these people who have, like I said, like no basis, don't even want to be on camera, like introverts, whoever, because I want it to work for those people, especially the right. people. I feel like the more, sometimes the loudest people or usually the loudest people are the ones who know the least. My passion is these people who have like actually been in the trenches. They have this experience. They've really been working, but they haven't been, they might be influential maybe in their sphere, but people don't know them. They don't know how to find them. And so they're almost like retroactively building this brand. Like I love getting those people in front of audiences. I think that's fun.
0: That was all during the time before Unruly. Yeah. So what, was the shift. Why make the change?
1: Well,
2: it's hard. I liked doing the festival stuff, but at the same time, every time I had a realization that every time I built up a brand or something, then the brand no longer wanted to pay the influencers for what they brought. And it happened with I saw it happen with we worked with Postmates during that time too. And it happened with Postmates. And then fast forward it happened with EDC where they were like, okay, we don't really need think we need to pay for this anymore. We don't want to like pay for this whole experience, pay me and for the experience that it costs for these influencers. So I really saw very quickly that brands, once they get what they need from influencers, they're kind of like, okay, peace, we're cool now. You can come if you want to, but I don't need to pay you for your value. Mm. And that really drove me crazy because I'm definitely, number one, friends with a lot of these people and helping them monetize. And then it also affects me too, because And I can't monetize with what they bring. And I obviously see how valuable influencers are for any brand because they really bring credibility and awareness to a product. I think a lot of times people think that own businesses, that influencers need to convert like a dollar, like dollar sales right away on that first post in order for them to be valuable but they're not really understanding the brand recognition they're getting on such a higher level and being like associated with these people is building their credibility and awareness. And that's really what influencers are unless you're using micro influencers and doing like pushing traffic behind them through ad buys. And that's a different way to monetize through influencers. But when you're working with like macro celebrity influencers, yeah. there's a whole different value. And I don't think the market was there yet to really understand that. So it was getting harder and harder to really make that much income with macro influencers, unless I was a part of some huge well-known agency that would understand what I'm bringing that not that would understand what I was bringing, but actually already got those huge ad buys campaigns. So I was just not in a point in my career to work with that high of level of brands that were actually paying the huge money. So I just constantly found other ways to monetize. Like I, I built businesses around influencers like building them e-commerce stores and then realize that was a whole mess because never it's very hard to find an influencer that wants to marry themselves to a product and that's why Kylie Jenner crushes it with her makeup is because every time she releases a new product if you look at her story she literally makes like 30 stories about that one lipstick showing it like on her wrist showing it on her lips going this is what I wear with it like she goes in on promoting her products no kidding and for a lot of these influencers are used to getting like i get my 8k story post and i'm done they want like right. the quick gratification they don't want to really build a brand long term unless they're getting paid so it's really hard to build an e-commerce store around them where it's like okay you can own this product like let's it's going to take longer but you need to build it but this is something that's going to make you way more over the right over right. the time so I saw that whole world was hard. I I really have literally been in every way to monetize an influencer.
0: That sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. <laughs> so now with Unruly, you have over a hundred influencers models that you work with in the agency, and I'm sure you can access a network of infinitely more than that if it if you really work in a campaign like that. But who's a good client for you and how do people typically work with you?
2: Yeah, so definitely have much more influencers outside of Unruly. But when I came to Unruly, it was very like synergistic to what I've already learned in the past. So it really made sense for the new company. And it really was just a change of name, but I took all the like talent I was already working with and brought them here for anyone that wanted to monetize in the ways that we offer at Unruly. But I feel I have a plethora of great talent, but, you know, someone that always comes to mind is obviously Tana Mojo. And that's just because I've known her for about like seven years. And I just really think she's grown a very significant career since I've met her. And she's really just stayed the same as far as like she her personality has not changed. She's still like such a great person and just wonderful to work with. But I have a lot of other ones, too.
0: So who's spending money with you guys then? Like if you're talking to a group of business owners or people that are that have budgets uh, for marketing and maybe they haven't considered influencer marketing, what types of of businesses or brands would you recommend taking the plunge?
2: I think once you start getting to the level of like a, a macro influencer, because I think that's where I specialize in. I'm not really focused on micro influencers. Mm. If anything, I constantly am like getting bigger and bigger influencers. So. It's just a whole different ballgame when you're working with celebrity talent. As I mentioned, they do get paid a lot more. But at the same time, I do think their value is just getting given to a brand in a whole different way. So you have to be at a certain stage in your company before you even open the doors to that level. Otherwise, it just doesn't make sense. For an example, if you're like a new startup starting out and you're like, oh, I really want X big influencer on my brand and it's going to change my the whole game of my new e-com business I just started or something like that. It's just not. So, but then at the same sense, say you're an e-commerce brand that's been already producing very high income and you've already figured out the back end of like collecting traffic or putting cookies on your website and things like that. Then I would say if you're producing revenue and you have the money to spend to open up to macro influencers, I think it's a smart thing because At that point, you get to utilize a macro influencer to like hold your product or create content with your product. And then you get to take that image and push it across like Instagram sponsored ads and put it on your website and put it on your Instagram. Sure. And that just now makes me think Say you're like, I can't even think of anything else other than a water bottle for some reason. But say you're like a water bottle company and now I'm looking to buy a water bottle. If I go to your website and I see the celebrity that I think is, I recognize, and then I go to another one that I don't see a celebrity I recognize, I'm more likely going to buy the one of the celebrity I recognize because now it has more credibility. It feels bigger. So I just think it really builds credibility for brands.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's kind of almost the same pitch that we give to all the people that we work with because we book a lot of people on it's kind of like almost like podcast influencer marketing. We book a lot of people on podcasts, YouTube channels, blogs, and newsletters and stuff like that. And that's kind of one of the main things that we focus in on where it's like, this probably shouldn't be your first marketing spend, like your first marketing dollars. But if you're already spending money on marketing, you, or your back end's already good and you know your numbers, then we're a really fantastic layer to add yeah. on top of your other marketing channels, which sounds like, sounds like it's kind of the same pitch that you guys are, are talking about.
2: Exactly. Cause some people just they think social media and then they think like, okay, influencers holding my product. But there's just so many more layers of marketing. It's right. Like and it and it's all different depending on what business you're in. So there's just so many more pieces to the puzzle. And I think that it just comes down to obviously it's a science being able to monetize any product or thing online. So It's like it's a billion dollar question of like, how do you really monetize a product online? I mean, there's so many different ways and depending on the product you have. And even then, you're still testing. You're still finding out which ones are converting better, uh, which audiences are converting better. I think every business has to go through that first stage to really learn their audience before they can get to a level of being like, okay, I'm going to work with this big influencer.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed.
3: You know, we've worked with over 300 businesses now from Fortune 200 companies to startups to small businesses and you know, it's probably the theme of the book. So the, you know, the name of the book is The Undefeated Marketing System, How to Grow Your Business and Build Your Audience Using the Secret Formula That Elects Presidents, right? And so I walk through this five-step formula that we've utilized for all the clients we've had. And everybody that's followed the formula. Not everybody follows it. Some people, you know, like get impatient or I call them the interested versus the committed, the committed follow the five steps and they all grow. And the interested are like the shiny object entrepreneurs that go, Oh, that is really interesting what you do. And then they get interested in something else the next day. Yeah. So I'm not talking about those and I don't work with those anymore. Uh, We really work with committed businesses and when they followed this five-step formula that I've, that I've sort of undercovered through all the work we've done in political and presidential campaign marketing, we know that it gives business owners a, pretty much an, uh, there's no competition. They get a complete advantage if they utilize the, these five steps and work uh, towards their marketing campaign. Again, every company we worked with has grown. How do we do that? It all starts with number one, how do you understand your customer better? What does uh, the customer data say? This is what uh, Travis can probably give you guys uh, a full understanding of how he looked at it and what we did for him. But let me give it to you and how it works on political campaigns. I think it's more fun to look at that. And then we'll translate that over to business. Does that work? Yeah, please. Awesome. So like with a political campaign, I typically have a politician that reaches out. Let's just say they want to run for the United States Senate. And they say, Philip, come talk to me. I want to run for for the U.S. Senate in Texas. Right. And so I'll sit down with that candidate. And the first thing I say is, what do you want to run on? What are the issues you really care about? And inevitably, that egotistical politician says, I have 25 things I want to talk about to the public. And you go, all right, all right, all right. No, no one wants to hear your 25 things like we really got to narrow this down. But what I want to do is where I find a, I want to find alignment between what you care about and the voter. And so, this is a very elementary way that we do this. We do um, explain it. We do it much more sophisticated. On I, I can't describe the, the level of sophistication we utilize, but we go out and we do a survey in the field of voters and we figure out what, do the voter, what issues amongst those 25 issues. We're going to go test all 25 issues and figure out what issue rises to the top for them. What issue is so they're so passionate about? that they will vote for that candidate regardless of party, regardless of anything else. We know that if we run a marketing campaign for that candidate on these one or two issues, that that's going to put us over the top. And so what we do is we find an alignment between what the voter cares about and what the politician already cares about. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so for us, that's the first step. The second step for us is then we build out a strategic marketing plan for that politician. I don't want to build a plan until I know where they have alignment with the voter, right? And if you're a business owner out there right now, just uh, you know, translate that into customer, right? Yeah. And then I'm going to go rebuild in the customer sense, I'll rebuild, or with a politician, I'll build their brand. And the reason the brand is the third step in what we do is because uh, you don't want to run ads and send people to your website, to your brand, unless it speaks to them. If you have a brand that do, is not in alignment with what the customer or let's say the voter in this instance uh, cares about, then they're going to leave. I think, mm. uh, and I have this in the book. I, I keep forgetting the, the source, but it's in my book, but it's, I think it's copyware or something. It's 88% of consumers say they have one bad experience on your website. They'll never come back. And it makes sense if you've gone to an e-commerce site. And you're like, oh man, I want to buy this. And you go to it, it's all clunky. And you're like, okay, I'm not buying this. And you swipe out and you never go back. That is what you're up against. So your brand better speak to the customer or the voter in this case, right? The fourth step for us is now we know what the data says, now that we have a plan of alignment, now that we've built the brand, we're going to go test those two messages many different ways, 20 different ways. Like It's not, you know, I always hear from marketing. You say, hey, we test, we test, we test. Well, yeah, you're testing things that the customer may not want right? My Mm -hmm. thing is I'm testing on the top two issues. So I'm going to test variations of those messages 20 different ways. I am not here to talk right versus left or Trump versus Biden or what all that stuff is. But I'll tell you in 2016, the Trump campaign ran, would run one. they did this a thousand different times, but they they ran one ad on Facebook, 162 ways, one message, one ad, 162 ways. Why? Because what they found out was they would run an ad with a green background, a red background, a woman in the ad, a man in the ad, uh, different font sizes. They would make the graphics in the right corner, in the left corner. They did it 162 ways. And what they would inevitably find is that eight or nine of those ads blew through the roof organically or with very little money behind them. They didn't know why. They just knew what we knew from the data that those, the issue or the message was going to work. They just didn't know how effective to do the message and so that's what they did. They went out, tested 162 ways, found eight ways that the ad blew through the roof. And now they're ready to do the fifth step, which is launch the marketing campaign or launch that you know that ad. And you don't do that until you've tested everything and you've backed everything up by data. I think that's the whole foundation of what you're trying to do. When you're talking about a business, it's the same thing, Travis. You're trying to figure out, right? What, what does my customer think? This isn't like, Marketing is manipulation, but I want to do it for empathy and for good. Uh, There's too much bad and nefarious players in the marketplace. I want a a business owner to say, I care about my customer. I need to know what they care about, not just what I want to tell people about my product or service. That's the whole key to this whole thing. Like as a business owner, you're a business owner. I'm a business owner. I love telling everybody how great my business is. I'm proud of what I built. But that may not be what the customer cares about or the client Mm -hmm. cares about. So you've got to figure out a way to find that alignment. Now, in the way that we look at the data, which is more specific to probably this conversation, that's step one. We built a a partnership with the largest data collection, analytics, and AI company in America. And the projects that we do for our clients and did for you was we have a database of 200 million plus Americans, 550 million plus connected devices. We are tracking 10 billion with a B 10 billion online purchasing decisions every day and a trillion searches. And what we do is we overlay your customer base or a lookalike, or we put a pixel on your website and we, track, we grab their IP address and we track those movements of those people for the next 30 days, but we can also go 90 days in the past, 100 days in the past. And then we get this massive profile where we can tell the business owner the top values in life of their customers or clients. We can tell them the social media platforms they're on in a chronological order. We can tell them what shows they watch, what books they read, what magazines they read, how they consume media, the apps they consume, tell them everything about their customer. So before they go out and spend a bunch of money on ads, they know exactly what the customer cares about and they can tailor their approach that way. We've just always done this in politics and I'm just translating these principles over to business. The key is there are no other business marketers doing this right now. None. 0.0 other than me. Yeah. And so I'm like screaming from the hilltops. Like, guys, you got to do this smarter because ultimately, I don't know if you ever read the book by Jonah Berger called Contagious. Uh, he's from the Wharton School of Business. He said, we are seeing up to 10,000 ads a day offline and online, up to 10,000 ads a day online and offline. Wow, It's insane. So if you're a business owner, or marketer out there, You got to break through 10,000 ads a day. You're not just competing. If you're selling bikes, you're not just competing with other bike makers. You're competing with food companies. You're competing with shoe companies. You're competing with everybody for attention. And you got to break through the clutter. And unless you understand your customer, you'll never break through that clutter. And that's why everybody struggles so much with digital marketing now or any kind of marketing. Is because they don't understand what they're up against, and it's a science. And yeah. then I just figure out a formulaic system that I know works, and then I just wanted to put that out in the world.
0: Yeah, that's what I tell people. There's just a couple people that I follow in terms of like blog posts and, um, and newsletters that I actually pay attention to, and yours is one of them. And it's Thanks, for man. this specific reason, because, because of how data-driven all of your decisions are. And when you look at the the things that have the largest ad budgets, like a presidential campaign and like it, to me, it just makes good sense that as a business owner, that you would want to replicate as much of that process that they use as you can in your business, which is why, which is why I I had you guys go ahead and fill out that data, that that data report on all of our software site visitors, Mm -hmm. because I value that information and it's information that helps me do my job better um as a business owner and a couple of decisions that i had made even just about features in the software i made because of that data report that you guys built for us you know like one of the things was i forget the exact percentage but there was a a much higher than normal percentage of mobile users with people that visited our site right. and i was like well i've been going back and forth on do we need a mobile application in the next 6 months of the roadmap can we put that off till you know maybe next year after we have a certain influx of users and blah, blah, blah. But when I saw that data, I was just like, man, I got to just meet the customer where they're at and give them what they want, which if most of their usage is going to be on mobile, it's a much better user experience to have it on a mobile application than it's going to be on a mobile browser. So we went and ahead.
3: probably and will save platform. you money in the long run to meet them where they're at immediately, rather than going six months and realizing you lost business by not meeting them where they're at. That's the exactly. whole point, right?
0: Especially if you're going to spend money on marketing. Right. You know, like if if you're going to spend money on market, like I always liken it to um, a bucket with holes in the bottom of it. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have a way to make (laughs) sure customers stick around, it's like turning on the faucet, even though there's holes in the bottom of the bucket. As soon as you turn that faucet off, there goes the traffic. It's just going out the bottom of the bucket. You know what I mean? Like you got to repair the bucket first and then worry about turning on the traffic. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time.